Today on Let's Talk, voiceover with BT and Randy Ryan. Voice actress Cindy Robinson joins us, against her better judgment. She talks about moving from life on stage to life in a small, dark audio booth. We talk characters, voice matching, finding the essence of a voice to be able to sound like someone else. We pose the question, is motion capture becoming part of voice acting for games? Or is voice acting simply a different skill. And we talk about looping. Who are all those other voices on screen that aren't coming from the actors? So settle in, my friends. Let's talk voiceover. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk voiceover. Hey, we have a very special guest today. We have Cindy Robinson. Hi. Hi, Cindy. Hi. Hi. How are you? Doing great. Uh, and of course, Randy is here along with me. As I do. As he does, as he often does. And we're just, we're really excited and thrilled to have Cindy Robinson here. Cindy and I go back a long, 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 long time ago, back in uh, 2005, 2006. Um, we worked on a game called Pimp My Ride, the video game. And oh my gosh. It was an experience, <laughs> Cindy. It was. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. And, and, and the best part about that was early on, because I was supposed to be directing on that, and early on I went, mm -hmm. I am going to kill somebody if I get on this game. Hey, I'll call my good friend Brian Talbot, who is the most laid-back person I know, and he'll be just fine going out and doing this game. So that's how Brian got to direct you. Oh my gosh, it was uh, it was an interesting and actually so so what we did is we had uh, the the lead actor exhibit from the TV show right because this is again another IP property and so exhibit was uh, the star of the TV show and he came in and and it took him about uh, a week maybe two weeks to record his parts and then we had like no budget no time left so we had literally twenty characters that we had to shove into a two-day recording session at uh, the famous Mark Grau recording in Burbank. Indeed. Uh, yeah, we literally had 10 voice actors come in each of two days in a row. That was an experience. I forgot that you did that at Mark Grau. <laughs> oh, I didn't. I even, I can, I can picture the studio. I know, I mean, I know exactly the moment. Yeah, oh, I'm. I remember that because it was one of my first, uh, my first gigs, uh, my first big gigs actually here in Los Angeles. Very fun, fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you were doing that was one of your first video games. What were you doing before that? In uh -huh. fact, you started your career actually as a stage actress, right? I did. Uh, I was a Broadway gal. Uh, I was out in New York, and I did. Um, Stephen Sondheim put me in Into the Woods when I was uh, nineteen years oh old. Oh my gosh! And yeah, and I did that, and then I did Wendy in Peter Pan. I toured the country with that and went back to Broadway with it. And then I worked with the brilliant Nicholas Heitner at Lincoln Center doing Carousel. And then in between all of that, I did regional theater. I did uh, national tours. I did uh, international tours. Um, that was the that was actually where I thought my life was going to be settling. And it turns out that I had an injury. I had a really nasty back injury. Thank you, uh, Peter Pan and the harness. 
And I couldn't keep up with eight shows a week physically anymore. So when, you know, and I've told Randy this, but when you're four foot 11, but your voice is six foot two, what do you do? Cartoons or video games or, you know, voice acting. And so I came out to Los Angeles. My sister was out here at the time. So it kind of seemed like, you know, I wanted to be near her and, and it was a good transition. And it turned out to be, um, I always said that I kind of have the best worst luck. You know, it was like something that you go, this is not a good, this is not a good thing. You're too injured to do what your dream was. And then you go, yeah, but look what happened instead. And so that's how I ended up out here. I always take that as the universe trying to send you a message. Right. In my case, I'm usually so thick headed that I can't hear it until I get beaten over the head by something like that. <laughs> they had to break my back to do it. right? I get that literally. <laughs> yes. Yes. Literally. Wow. <laughs> That's, yeah. Uh, that's... So that's how I ended up out here. And the cool thing, I mean, I think musicians do really well in voiceover because they hear, they hear cadence and they hear timing and they hear pitch. You know, um, I am a rotten voice match, but I can match your cadence. You know, I can imitate you in that way. So it's, it's, it's something that I think is a natural transition, especially for a lot of musical theater it's actors. It's really interesting that you say that you, you're a rotten voice match because, um, Oh, I well, suck. Well, but from my perspective, because, you know, you and I have obviously worked together a lot. You, yeah. you know, one of the things that you are is you have a very malleable voice. You can create, you are not somebody who is like, oh my God, we got to create three characters for Cindy. This is going to be a real problem. That's um, not a problem. So. <laughs> no, I'm rangy. Right. I'm rangy and that I get. But there is this unique, um, I like to say unique, um, that, that masks the fact that I can't control it um there's this this unique quality about my voice that even when i'm trying to voice match someone uh it, it just there's always a little bit of me that pokes through it just doesn't ring true yeah i can i can i can kind of you see know? how that could happen well what's really interesting too about trying to do impersonations or voice matching or or any of that kind of stuff if you listen to the people that are really well known for that mm-hmm. it's not as much about being an exact voice match but instead it's about picking out certain characteristics of someone's voice and being able to emulate those characteristics very well. So when you said part of your voice is always in there, of course it is, but where, where it becomes a real good skill and a talent to be able to do that is to be able to identify a couple of key identifying factors and then bring that into the character as you're trying to do a voice match. Sure. I mean, like, I, I was hired to do, uh, this is an, <laughs> this is a story. Uh, I was hired to do the voices of Nancy Pelosi and, uh, Hillary Clinton for a project. And it was exactly that. They wanted the essence. And sometimes I feel like that's the way people feel about accents too, particularly Americans. They want the Lucky Charms Irish accent. They don't care what block you're from. You know, they want to hear the essence and that's what gives them the flavor so that they can tune into it. But I was, uh, I I don't think I'm spot on for either Nancy Pelosi or Hillary Clinton, but they wanted the essence of it. Turns out it was completely against my political views. And when I saw the project, I was like, oh, oh, no, 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 I didn't do that. And then, you know, so, hey, kids out there. 
you know, be careful what you audition for. <laughs> yeah, right. No um, kidding. <laughs> oh. But yeah, uh, that's that really. I mean, Hillary, I've been asked to do a couple of times, and I think it's because I I do kind of already sound like her, but I do get her cadence. The other one, um, I mean, I did Betty Boop for a long time because I naturally sound like Mae Questel. But if I had to say that I was a voice match for either one of them, I would say, not really. It's just naturally already what I've got going on. Well, you know, and that's really interesting because uh, in voiceover and voice acting, especially on, on the commercial and narration side, people tend to look for the hot voices, right? I, I know on the guy's side, mm-hmm. everyone wants you to sound like Morgan Freeman, Sam Elliott, George Clooney. David and, Duchovny. You know, all those kinds of people. Who, who on the female side are those voices that you're always asked to be? And then when Tina you Fey. actually go there, what happens? You know, how do you become the voice of some someone like Betty Boop, which is an iconic voice that everyone knows? Yeah, um, I think everyone thinks they know Betty Boop. They know they know what their childhood version of it is generally um, because, you know, oh, honey, it's Betty Boop. Um, they, they like the cadence again and they, and they like the crack. So if you've got that and you've got kind of the same pitch, people don't, especially people currently, they don't really know what Betty sounds like originally. Sure. And also the thing about Betty that was easier for me is that Betty wasn't always dialogue driven. She was a one-liner character. If you look at all the old cartoons... She spoke every once in a while, but it was really animation heavy rather than dialogue heavy. So as long as you can get that essence, you know, um, then that's, that was something that I think I, I, I kind of tapped into. And again, I already sounded like her. It wasn't something that was a huge stretch there. Yeah. Now, do you do but other But if you're talking Mae about Mae Questel uh, voices, yeah. I mean, olive oil sounds very much like her, but no, <laughs> I don't. Um, I have a tendency to not... I, first of all, I don't like to voice match. Um, that character's been done. That job's been, been, right. been cast. Sure. Uh, and you're never, ever going to make your name being somebody else's second. So unless you are amazing at it, which I am not, then that's not where I think my career needs to go. Because why try to emulate something that's already been done beautifully? Let me. I would rather work on something creating what I sound like. Yep, completely agree. That's um, so. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, um, because this is something that's starting to come up in my world, <clears throat> and because of your theater background and you know the flying and tumbling and all that kind of stuff, um, sure, we're seeing a lot more requests for voice actors to do mocap. So instead of mm-hmm. there's there's a trend of instead of hiring two separate actors, one person who is going to do the mocap and one person who is going to do the voice acting, um, they're wanting people who do both. And I can see both sides of this and I see voice actors I've got voice actors on one side who think this is awesome and they're taking tumbling classes and they're uh, working with doing mocap, they're working with mocap coaches, they want to do this. And then I hear other people who say um, that's no, I don't want to do that. I'm a voice actor and that actually has nothing to do with mocap. I'm just kind of wondering, not for yourself necessarily, but just as, as a trend in general, I mean, what are kind of some of your thoughts on that? Cause I, you probably have people who are in both camps that you know as well. Oh, sure. Um, first of all, if you can do it, good for you. Um, I don't match what I look like. 
I, my sound does not match what I look like. So uh, that's not really a thing for me. The other thing is that what is happening with with mocap is that they want some stunt performers. Right. And a stunt performer is not necessarily an actor. You know, it's like the triple threat situation with musical theater. Can they sing? Can they dance? Can they act? Can they tumble? Can they act? Can they, can they also, I mean, voice acting, it's, it's a different skill. It is. It's just a different skill. And people joke about that. I, I saw this, this Timberlake Colbert thing. I was just going to uh, bring that up. That was that yeah, not hilarious. <laughs> it was hilarious, but I was like, you know, and then there's Chris Rock at the Oscars going, I want to go in and make my million dollars. I say my lines and I make my million dollars. And it's like, dude, I wish I could do that. Right. Uh, but, but it's, it's a different situation. Oh, wait, keep me on track. <laughs> Mocap and video games. If you can do it, good for you. I know a handful of people that can. I also know some people that are stunt performers that are now saying, oh, hell no, I don't want to do this anymore because I want to be able to walk when I'm 35. Right. And that's no joke. 35. Wow. And as being somebody who was in a harness for three years and who paid for it last year, I was in a walker for six weeks. Uh, I had a cane for eight months. Because the the injury that I had from stage work eight years ago came back to haunt me. So I totally and completely understand that. The other thing that is interesting about that aspect of it is that I, I recognize the need to make a real sound. So a physical actor and somebody who is doing the vocab situation, which is, you know, just the voice with the movement, not just even motion, but the headgear mm-hmm. that they put on, it makes a difference because you get the efforts, you get the breaths, you get the exerts, you get all of that stuff in it, and it, it all is part of the performance because I think video games, which, and I don't know a whole lot about where video games are going. I am not in, you know, in the know about that stuff because they are so secretive about things. Right. Um, but I do know that they're going to a very cinematic and realistic style. And their animation is so clean now. It's like, holy crap. I, I, I guess I was watching the latest Call of Duty because my guy, Chris Smith, is, uh, it does some voices in it. So we were listening and all of that the other day. And his kid, his kid plays video games. And, uh, it was, it was amazing to me, uh, how realistic they've gotten with it. And I understand now what, what the different styles are. It's not all just, you know, line, dialogue, line, dialogue, line, dialogue. It's, it's, it's really enhancing what the performance is and the experience that the gamer uh, has based on what we can do. Yeah. And you also bring up something else that I think is, it's in the same ballpark, but it's, it's slightly different. And to me, the facial capture stuff, now that to me makes a lot more sense because you know, when you're talking, when you're when you're voicing a character, we all know that voice actors can sometimes do some some crazy things. Mm-hmm. As you know, our good friend Dave Fenoy says, you use your body um, yes. and it to make it come out of your mouth. But you would never do that if you were doing stage or screen. However, your face does. If you whatever you're saying and whatever you're doing, you capture what's going on in your face. That makes a great deal of sense to me. And I'm just wondering if the technology ultimately is where it shakes out like you still do have cgi or you have stunt people who do the full body mocap you know is this an experiment that's going to be it's all the rage for a while and then people figure out that maybe that's not the best way to do it 
Uh, I like facial capture. It's, um, I think it informs a lot. I think it also inhibits a lot. Uh, when people know they're being recorded, they behave differently. And so unless you have somebody, again, I, I'm a stage actor, so perhaps my movements are a little too big. Mm-hmm. Film actors. You're talking body uh, movement. Are you talking body? No, no, movement no. Or I'm talking facial. Movement? No, I'm talking facial movement. I mean, if you look at if you look on screen at at stage actors, sometimes they come across as way too big, right? Because they're used to performing for you know five thousand people, right? Or twenty five hundred people, and having to get that across the footlights. It's not the same when you're working on screen. It has to be tucked in. However, a lot of, and, and I will say, you know, a lot of the celebrities that have, that have gotten on board with animation and all of that, uh, are not necessarily good animation actors. No. Because there isn't any movement. So I think that there's a balance. And again, you know, going back to the, the old joke about, you know, voice acting is a different skill. I think that facial capture is a different skill. I think that you have to be aware of how to use your voice. Um, and also how to use your face. Mm-hmm. And we've talked a lot about that in other episodes as well. I, I agree with you. I think if, if I had sensors on my face, it does change the way that you feel free to do whatever you need to in a studio, right? If you're just doing mm-hmm. voice acting. Yeah. Because it brings in a different element to your performance. So I can very much see it what does. you're saying there. It does. And, and I've heard some things, you know, some rumors around town about the opposite about taking the original dialogue and having people just have facial capture and, and doing um, a lip sync to it because that person, again, that person has the look, that person has the dots. They can, they can track it and they're going to make your face kind of look like that character. But the person that did the original voice match or did the original voicing of the character didn't perhaps look like that. So I think we're seeing it kind of mirroring. I think that people are really experimenting with what motion capture really means and where it's going to lead to the next step of development in games. So that's a really interesting question. You talked about um, your transition from stage to voice acting. Do you still do any Mm -hmm. stage or any on-camera work at all? I haven't. Um, first of all, I don't know that I can remember my lines. <laughs> I, I did. That's not true. That's not true. I mean, it's kind of true. No, we, uh, we, we all go through that. Me. Right? I do short films just to be able to keep those skills fresh. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Recently I did, um, I did a series of, uh, one acts and here in LA, I did two nights of it and I had not been on stage in almost seven years and I did not invite anyone because i was like i don't know if i can remember my lines <laughs> because when you read it's just again different skill voice acting is a different skill when you're reading all the time you lose the ability to just memorize and i used to be able to look at a script right off the bat and i would read through it one time and i'd be like i'm done with that and and off i was on my feet it is not that way anymore man it is just not that way no. and it was a terrifying experience so no i have not kept up on that but I am actually going back to music, uh, kind of, in the next month. So, okay, so, so you good. got us interested. Go. No, no, no. I'm, j- <laughs> I'm just singing again. I am singing again. I'm going back into voice lessons. I'm going, and a lot of that actually uh, is starting because um, I'm seeing the need to care for my instrument. Um, what my career has kind of evolved into 
is monstery stuff. Yeah. And and the low rumble and the screams and boy, I scream for so many horror flicks and I you you guys have no idea. Um and so I do so many monster things and I am noticing now that it's starting to really take a toll on my upper register. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have a terrific coach out here. His name is Jeffrey Allen, and he is the, the dean of, of pop music at USC. And I've been working with him for almost 10 years. And I had, I had ceased going to class. You know, it's like, oh, I got this. But it's time to go back into training and really take care of the, of the top part of my register so that I don't lose it and that I don't start to sound cartoony. Um, because I can fake it again, being a stage actress and being a mimic, I can fake it, but it is starting to sound on the cartoon edge instead of the natural edge. And I don't see the trend of natural sounding voices going away anytime soon. No, probably not. I mean, especially within video games where, um, characters are getting less towards the animation side. Yeah. Um, and even more, even in cartoony kind of games are getting more towards realistic um, deeper characters in some respect. Even in animation, I mean, look at look at what's going on. There's BoJack Horseman. You know the, the things that are really big right now. Clarence, uh, We Bear Bears. Um, those are those are real voices. Mm-hmm. Even in animation, yeah. there's those are real voices. You're always going to have you know the Phineas and Ferbs, and you're always going to have you know that that sort of situation over there. And it's great to be able to, to tap into that. But longevity and also, um, I do a lot of looping. I do a lot of uh, looping for television and for feature films. And um, that has to be real. And you have to be able to have the range. I've already seen myself losing out on some jobs because I don't sound as young as I used to. There's a, there's a thing that people say when they're like, get it younger means raise the pitch. Right. Now, I disagree with that. Because if you listen to Jennifer Lawrence, if you listen to Emma Stone, these are 20-something women that have that low, raspy voice. But people are still not tuned into that. People still think that a, that a higher voice means a younger person. And so that's something that I have watched myself miss out on. Oh, it's a high school show, Cindy. You're not right for this. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't sound that young. So that's something that I want to work on. A big part of that, too, though, is because as a male voice actor, that does mm-hmm. tend to be a differentiator. When you're younger, you tend to be more sure. higher pitched. You don't have the rumble. You don't have the, the, the bottom. And as you get older, you do. And as you get really old, that's kind of all you have left in a lot of cases. Right. And so I think that that kind of spilled over and it's not necessarily an equivalency between male voice actors and female voice actors. You know, there's an age differential, but it's not it's not a huge pitch change. Mm -hmm. It's a delivery. There is a delivery change. I think the other thing when you talk about somebody like Jennifer Lawrence or Emma Stone, if you were going to pick them, it's probably because of who they are. But their voices kind of belie their age a little bit. And the other thing that will probably happen to them as they get older and what they lack right now is they lack some of that depth. And that's a difficult thing, I think, to take out of your voice. So you're right that the de facto thing for a director, especially if they're on a short time period, might be raise your pitch. Um, right. Because that's the time we've got and we got to get this third character in or you know whatever it may be. Right. But – I wonder if there's a way to work with your voice where you can actually thin it out a little bit without raising your pitch, more like this, and that can give you a little bit more youth to it as well. Well, um, 
Okay, so here's it, it, maybe I'll just take some air out of it. Yeah, exactly. You know, right? But and again, that is just something that is knowing your instruments and knowing what you can do with it. Right. So taking it all the way back around, I'm going back to voice lessons. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> and going back to music because it's all musicality. It really is. I think voice acting uh, it has a lot to do with musicality. Most of the best ones I know are good musicians. And I, I think that you really hit on something there. How many, if you had a nickel for every time someone said, oh, you know, that person has a great voice, they should be in voiceover. And it's like, well, yeah. oh, no, 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 no. That, that has some of the least amount to do with anybody's success. <laughs> it really is about knowing I, your instrument and knowing exactly how to use it and knowing exactly how to get to a place that you need to be. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually one of the first things that I say whenever I do workshops or whatever. It's like, I want to just say something to you right off the bat. Please don't ever, ever say my aunt, cousin, neighbor, sister, teacher, girlfriend says I have a great voice and I should be in voiceover. That labels you as an amateur right off the bat and people will refer you to a book. They will say, great, go read this. <laughs> they will never talk to you at that point. None of us will talk to you at that point because that shows us that, I mean, it, it's, it, it, you might as well wave the amateur flag. And I don't mean to be offensive and I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings, but stop with that. Right. Stop with that and stop with, I wish I could be in voiceover so I could go to work in my pajamas. Right. No, 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 no. Nobody wants to work with anyone in their pajamas. And it, and it influences how you perform. Mm -hmm. If you're sitting there, you know, in, in your robe or whatever, you speak differently than, you know, it, there was a, I had a promo coach one time, uh, who said, bring in several pair of shoes. And when you're reading stuff, if it's not going well, change your shoes. And I thought that was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard at the time. And then I did it and I went, Oh no, that's that, that is, is such brilliant thing. advice. It really is. It's it, that is a thing. I, I heard a Edward Norton uh, interview one time, and he said that's the way he starts every character when he gets cast. With the shoes? very first thing he does is he figures out what the shoes are going to be, mm. and it um, sets a tone. Yeah, there are so many different things that influence the sound that comes out and the read that you give. I got busted so hard for doing a. Um, a promo for um, a judge, a judge show. I will not name which one it was, um, because I don't like the word judge, and that came out in my read, and they just kept going, nope, nope, nope. No. Why are you judging her? Interesting. Why, have you? Do you know wow. this person? Do you know what her stance is? By the way, you know she actually is incredibly fair. But you, your read, your spin on it, because of where I, because of my background and who I am, and they liked my voice, but they didn't, they didn't care for the. And we had to really, really adjust that, and work on that, and it was all because of one word, judge. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. It, it it is amazing to think about all the things that influence the way oh, you can make your so voice much. sound. Yeah. There's so much and the read that you can deliver and, and you know, you going back a little bit, you were talking about what are the, what are the names that I hear? I hear Angelina Jolie. I hear Tina Fey. I hear Jane Lynch and I hear Allison Janney. 
all the time. Those are the references. Interesting. And why do you think it? Why do you think it is? Because you know, I, I look at I look at myself. I'm not I'm not the writer, so you know it, this may be a very easy thing for me to say because that's just not my role. But at no point when I'm looking at a character or reading a character, and I understand that people do like reference, and maybe it's just me as me. I generally don't look at other actors to say mimic this or if I do it's a quality that is the closest that I think I would ever get to referencing an actor because you know and again I'm also more in video games than I am in commercial although we do commercial but but we're creating characters right mm -hmm. so you don't want to create an existing character it's kind of what you were saying about voice matching it's you want to create something different you would be surprised about that, and I'll, I'll tell you what my take on it is. Uh, my take on it is that sometimes the people that are in charge are not talent, so they don't understand the difference uh, between somebody creating something and, and a sound that they hear in their head. Right. I think that there are some people that can only hear one thing, mm -hmm. and the only way that they know how to do it is to reference a celebrity. Right. And then, then you, you as the actor have to determine, do they want a direct replication of what that celebrity would sound like? For instance, you know, the Kaiser Permanente ads, mm -hmm. which I, that was Alice and Jenny, right? I got that. Yeah. So many times. Mm. And it's like, do you want that read? Is that what you're looking for? Or do you want something that's, that's going to be our version of the Alice and Jenny read? Right. You know, and you have to kind of, and you have to worry about whether or not, well, you don't worry about it. I just toss it away. I do the read and if they like it, great. If they don't, you know, they cast somebody else. Um, but do you want that uh, or do you not want that? And and so you kind of just have to take that as it comes day to day and hope that, that somebody will have a little bit of vision. It really goes back to that old saying, people don't know what they like. They like what they know. And I think, I think that's a huge influence, right? Yeah, I used to work with a with a in a loop group on a on a, a network show, and the um, sound PAs would do a temp line, and the producers had heard that so many times as they were watching the episode that that was we had to like mimic what the bad reading was. Yeah, I've had that happen. So I, I've had that oh, happen. Oh, they were like, no, music. no, no, we wanted to sound like that. Yeah. We wanted to sound, you know, and it's like, but that's bad. Then why are you even? And a lot of times they would give that PA a contract, a SAG contract, because they ended up using that line oh, wow. because they liked the temp more than what the regular actor could bring to it because they had heard it already so many times. I have the worst horror story on that. A friend of mine uh, was working for a pretty big gaming company, and they had this really interesting little cooperative game that they were doing. <clears throat> and because it was cooperative and it was kind of cartoony, they put uh they, they got a text to speech just to put in all the temp lines and you know the mm -hmm. idea that we're going to replace this later on with real actors because you know it's cartoony and so we need to have people who can be sure. over the top and you know do this kind of stuff started doing the auditions for them and the powers that be same thing had heard the robot voices mm -hmm. so long that they actually said yep we're not going to pay actors and they went out and they left it all as text to speech through the entire game and hired not actor one because they'd heard the temp voices so long. That's what they did. And, yep. pre and predictably the game did not sell well. And one of the things that they were being panned for, you guessed it. Yep. Yeah.
Hey, Cindy, you've talked a couple times about looping. That's a real uh-huh. fascinating aspect of voiceover and voice acting. And it's something that very few people ever get the opportunity to do. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit more about that and how you got involved and how that works for you? Sure. Um, I got involved because I did a free project. And this is no joke. Somebody, a studio asked me to come in uh, and do something gratis for them. And a lot of people are like, oh, I won't do that. Um, and I, it was me. And one other guy, he was directing, he did all of the adult males, I did all of the females and the little boys, and we just did a tester for a studio for a, a little promo. And at the end of it, he introduced himself and shook my hand and said, uh, I'd like to work with you. And I went, okay. And then I get a phone call from him um, about a week later, and he's like, would you come over to my house, and I want you to screen this, this thing, and I'll tell you what I want to do. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm not going to your house, dude. But, Boy, that has so much and, more powerful meaning <laughs> even today, right? <laughs> I know, right? Anyway, so I called a friend of mine who was, you know, the guy that kind of started me in the business. And I'm like, this just happened. What's going on? And he's just, this is this, you know, something I should watch out for. And he's like, nah, I mean, I've heard of this guy. Don't worry about it. Well, it turns out that this guy was uh, creating a loop group. And this was, he wanted to do it differently than a lot of people did. He really put an emphasis on quality. And so I went over to his house and there were a bunch of other people there that were also in the group for this episode. We watched the episode down. We all took notes. He's like, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. He See see how this is going. See how this is going. And he taught me basically how to loop. So what I like to describe looping as is that all the pretty actors on screen, we put all the pretty voices to all the pretty actors because uh, they're not allowed to talk. Only the principals are allowed to talk, but we have to create the ambient sound vocally. So we went in and we did the episode. And again, because I'm musical and because I can see sync, we have to look up and see what people are saying in the background and put words in their mouth based on lip flat. So we basically have to read lips and we have to hit it. And then we have to create anytime that you hear a news report or a dispatch officer or a lot of times an extra, you know, if you see the waitress put a, a plate down on the table, but you don't see the waitress and she's like, here you go, or I'll be right back with your coffee. That's a loop group situation. That actor doesn't say that. Right. For the first like two or three years, we spotted every single episode before we went in. So man, we were on our toes and we were on it and we knew what was going on. And that was different than a lot of loop groups uh, did at the time. And now he has kind of put this team together and um, we do, we do Gotham uh series of unfortunate events um we did the good wife for years we did entourage we did uh californication i mean i did all here you want to go off off topic for a second i did all the sex noises for uh those two shows those last two shows for a long time that's a whole nother show um Um. (laughs) that's a whole nother show but, you know, that's what I'm saying. There are a whole lot of skills involved in voice acting, people. For all those people Kids who think, boy, you're lucky. All you you yeah. get paid to talk. Yeah, there's a little more involved than just that. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk. Can I get paid, too? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like I have had virtual sex with most of my friends. It's kind of weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> but seriously, I mean, a lot of the actresses won't come in and do their own stuff. Or the, a lot of the actors don't have time to come in and do it and the loop group can get it done you know in a heartbeat and and it's just funny it's not it's not anything creepy or weird um it's just funny 
So, but that has, that's a lot of, that's, that's the beginning. That's like a, 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 a real quick primer mm-hmm. uh, as to what looping is. Wow. Yeah. And what I do about three or four days a week. I've always been fascinated by your loop stuff because, of course, I've, you know, that for me is not anything I've ever yeah. been involved with. I mean, the closest is, is doing ADR type of stuff. Yeah. And it's strange. It's like how to be really good at your job and be completely not interesting because you can't, we call it ND, uh, nondescript. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can't pull focus from dialogue. Mm-hmm. And you have to also understand mic technique and how to deal with your, your, uh, engineers because you can't be talking like this and then all of a sudden do a peaky thing and scream. Right. Because that will, that'll blow your take because your, your sound engineer is not ready for that. So there are so many elements and levels to the technique that you have to have in order to do that correctly and to do it well so that it's expedient. Mm-hmm. It, because it, 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 it's just a different skill altogether. Oh my God, looping is a separate skill altogether. <laughs> it's, <laughs> Seems to be a recurring what theme like today. Voice acting. Yes, yes. How do you, how do you guys typically? I mean, in, in looping, how are you typically approaching things like Walla? Because you've got usually what, like six-ish people in a loop group. I mean, I know depends it can probably what, change. Depends but is that on about what you're right? doing. I've done shows with uh, with four. I've done shows with fourteen. Mm-hmm. I've done I've done movies with twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to listen. I mean, it's just like being in a chorus. You listen to the chord. Mm-hmm. If you want to do musical terms, then you, you, you think of everything as a chord. Mm-hmm. You think of, uh, because they do multiple passes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't just make it sound like this. You have to really listen. And if it's super busy, like a party scene, mm-hmm. then yes, we generally don't talk to each other. We talk to ourselves. Mm-hmm. We talk to an imaginary friend because that gives you the impression that there are a whole lot more people in the room. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so there are little things like that. Um, there are things that are just, oh, good Lord, the, the screaming fan th- stuff, mm-hmm. you know, in a concert or whatever. That's just wall to wall sound. Mm-hmm. That's just keep going, make it loud, don't stop. Yeah. There are things like a park where you will have people doing pass bys, the mic. Mm-hmm. So like you'll double up and two people will walk by and talk. Then two people walk by and talk. Then two people walk by and talk. We have rooms that uh, some people like us to be on the back side of the mic. It gives it a, a, a different mm-hmm. set of depth. Sure, absolutely. There are some things that we move, we take it in a big clump. And uh, if we're outside, you don't want any room on the mic. So you get really clustered close to the mic. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you really create um, a sense of intimacy with that so that you don't get room on it. So you're actually doing, the as opposed to... Um, an an engineer in post fading you in, fading you out for a pass by. You mm-hmm. actually are physically walking we are physically by the mic. Doing it, yeah, we are physically doing it. Then we do specifics. You know, it's like you you start with a bed generally, and depending on the scene, uh, where the scene takes place, and and how many people are in it, you start with a bed. Or I've had actually I have some supervisors that like to start with the specifics because that might be full enough mm-hmm. for them. Right. Um, there are some people that play everything. Mm-hmm. There are some people that play very very few things. Mm-hmm. So it it just depends. It depends on who you're working with, mm-hmm. and it's just like a director, just like an actor. You know what their skill set is, and you know what their preferences are. Right. And um and that's how we uh, that's how we behave in the session. For episodic TV, what is your typical length? And I know it can change from show to show, but is there a typical? Depends on this on the supervisor. We are allowed. 
they are allowed to keep us for eight hours mm-hmm. uh, based on union rules. So um, it depends. There are some people that go, well, we got you for eight hours. We're going to keep you for eight hours. Mm-hmm. There are some that go, I got other things to do, man. Let's get this knocked out. Right. I do some really busy shows that are hour long, which on network television, it's actually only 42 minutes. So, right. and we're in there, you know, anywhere from two to four hours tops. Mm-hmm. And then I've done 30 minute shows. Entourage was one of them. Entourage was a 30 minute situation that we were there for the full eight hours every time because the, it was so busy. Yeah. It was just so busy. Mm-hmm. Hey, Cindy, this has been absolutely fabulous. We really appreciate taking the time today. Thank you. Thanks for calling me and asking me, and and I hope I didn't chat your ears off. I can be a little... Nah, you're fabulous. We really appreciate (laughs) it. So, uh, anything coming up you can talk about real quick, or... No. Okay. And there you go. Welcome to the <laughs> welcome to voiceover. <laughs> you know what? Talk to me in a year and a half and I can tell you about it. I was actually just informed last uh, last week that um, there's one particular game company that I work for that does not want you to talk about the process. They will they will, they're starting to like hold this NDA thing really seriously. We can't talk about the process of the creation of characters. We can't talk about the process of, of the work. We can't talk about the recording session. Nothing, honey. Wow. Yeah. And it was like, oh, that kind of, you know, I thought, you know, once it was out there in the world that we could speak about it, that is, that is, uh, people are, are coming toward us and saying, no, we don't want any of that out. That's, that's trade secret. Yeah. It's still trade secret and intellectual property. Sure. Yeah. Is there anything from your perspective that you go, okay, I can see that? Or is it kind of like, eh, whatever? You know, it, d- it depends on the time of day that you catch me with that particular question. Fair enough. There's, there's one that just goes, oh, my God. You know, I, you want us you want us to have 9 million Twitter followers so that we can help promote your project, but you don't want us to talk about anything. Yeah. So, you know, and they're starting to, that's another, that's something that you guys should actually think about, too. Um, they're starting to do some hiring based on following. Oh, uh, rather than on talent, you know, it's all about, are you an internet s- sensation? I know. Um, and, you know, and I, I opened a, a con recently and I said, hi, I'm not an internet sensation, but I've been replaced on one, <laughs> or replaced by one on TV. Um, because <laughs> uh, that's, that's what they're, because if you have a good director, generally they can get a read out of them. Within, and that's, yeah, within reason. Yeah, within reason. It's a whole new world out there with this, with this internet thing. Um, I hear all and, the kids are, social get, are media. Is that the internets? Yeah, is the that interwebs. It right? It's yeah. what all the hip kids are doing. The interwebs. The interwebs. Oh. Yeah, but I mean, like, oh, good Lord. We could talk for hours, guys. Um, but thank you, and good luck. <laughs> no. This was fun. You're so easy to be around. Thank there you. There you go. It is fun. Cindy Robinson, <laughs> thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Randall, as always. BT. <laughs> all right, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Let's Talk VoiceOver is hosted by Randy Ryan, owner of Hamsterball Studios, voice music and sound design, and Brian Talbot, actor and all-around creative guy. If you have comments, questions, ideas for other show topics that you'd be interested in hearing, or you just want to let us know what you think, you can reach us by sending an email to bt at letstalkvoiceover.com. Or go to our website at www.letstalkvoiceover.com. That's letstalkvoiceover.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite media app so you don't miss an episode. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We just might post something there. No promises. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk VoiceOver. We'll talk again real soon.